Father, you are beautiful. And I look forward to the day when we hear those wedding bells ringing and we will gather together around the throne. No more pain of this world, no more suffering, no more sorrows. And we will sing and we will just be amazed at the beauty of our Lord, our Christ, who died and rose again for us. But until then, we know that you will hold us fast. And we trust you and we, we lean on you and, and we need you because in this world, our, our love does often stray and grow cold and, and we ebb and we flow and, and we need that sustaining, keeping power of Jesus Christ to hold us fast. We love you and it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be finishing out this chapter this morning, and I'm excited at how, in God's providence, he arranged uh, for Tammy to be here and to talk about some of the very things that we actually find uh, in this particular account of our of our Lord. As we are getting ready to dive into this text, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been riveted by the powerful testimony of someone who was saved out of a life of incredible sin? Maybe it was somebody who was on drugs. Maybe it was somebody who was living on the streets. Maybe it was someone committed to a life of sexual deviancy. And you hear their testimony and you think to yourself, wow, just listen to the love of Jesus in their voice. And, and you hear this gratitude that just flows out of their, their hearts. And, and you might sit there and think, you know, I, I would never want to reap the consequences of that person's sin, but wouldn't it be amazing if I had a testimony like that? It's clear that that man, that woman, loves the Lord with an unbounded love. And maybe you look at your own life and you think to yourself, but I've never been that bad. I've never committed those kinds of sins. I'll never have that kind of a testimony. Maybe I could never even love God like that. And as we work our way through this ending of Luke 7 this morning, I want you to grasp this indispensable truth. No matter your background, no matter your testimony, no matter even the quantity of your sin, your love for God will only be as deep as the awareness you have of the enormity of your own sin. This morning, in the end of Luke 7, we are going to encounter two sinners. Both of them deserve punishment. Both of them deserve judgment. Both of them ultimately deserved hell. Both of them deserved to forever be banished from the face of God. But as these two sinners looked at their lives, only one recognized that there was sin there. And because of that, only one felt the guilt for what it was. Only one felt the need for mercy. And only one in this story experiences the depth of forgiveness as a result. I want you 
to be that one this morning. I want you to feel this morning what this woman felt. And I want you to leave this morning with a love that's deeper and broader for God than when you walked through these doors just a few minutes ago. Okay? So follow along as I read our text. You can follow in your Bible. The words will be on the screen as well. Uh, Starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. Here's what the physician Luke records for us. One of the Pharisees asked him, that him there is Jesus, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a rather shocking story, isn't it? And I think really what starts off and makes it shocking is that a Pharisee would ever invite Jesus into his home. We're not told why Simon invited Jesus to come on this di- at this dinner, but he did. Uh, maybe he was intrigued and he wanted to know more, uh, but the circumstances here suggest otherwise. We'll see, and you heard as I just read, that Simon did not provide Jesus the customary courtesies given to house guests. And we'll also see that Simon reluctantly listens uh, begrudgingly answers Jesus' question, more likely than not, Simon 
is either trying to trap Jesus on this evening or at minimum find another reason to dislike him. Well, we know because Jesus is the Son of God and the most brilliant man to ever walk to the face of the earth, that Simon will never be able to trap him. He's too clever for that. But I suspect that when Simon went to bed on this night, he hated Jesus even more than when this dinner began. Look at verse 36. It says, this Pharisee, Simon, asked Jesus to eat with him. And so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, recall that Pharisees are a legalistic group of people. They stringently interpreted and applied the law. Their intent, while probably originally commendable in doing those things, had devolved into a system of meticulous rules and policies by which they judged their own righteousness as well as the righteousness of others. They were hawkish in their application of obedience. On the outside, they looked really good. And I, I bet Simon, on the outside, looked really good. He dressed nice. He behaved in public. He contributed to society. He generally seemed to live an upright life. He tithed. He worshipped at the temple on a, on a regular basis. If you would have been around Simon, you wouldn't have had to worry that you were in harm's way. In fact, while you weren't as holy as him, you would have aspired to be as holy as him. My guess is that if you were a parent in those days, you would have wanted your kids to hang out with Simon's kids. Because they're probably going to stay out of trouble. You trust Simon yeah, he can be a little bit dogmatic sometimes on some of the things that he believes. But you know what? If you want a good role model for your teen, this would be the guy. You would pick a guy like Simon. He's good church folk, as we would say. This Simon invited Jesus over to his house. Now, they don't eat like you and I eat when we have our dinners. We pull up chairs around a big table, pass out the food, and we eat like that. That's not how they ate in those days. It wasn't the custom. When you would go to a, a, a host's home, uh, you were given a little couch sort of thing that sat around a short table. And so food would be spread out on this table and you would lie down on the couch. You'd kind of prop yourself up on your left elbow, and then you would use your right hand to, to grab food and, and eat it. Your Your naked feet or as my kids like to say, your dirty dogs, would be hanging out the back, okay, off the end of this couch. Uh, and that's where they were exposed. Now, typically, they had been washed before you sat down at dinner. Typically. So when the text says that they reclined at the table, that's the picture that you should draw in your mind. As the honored guest... Jesus would have been in the middle, propped up, eating, and all of the other people and participants would have been around the table listening as he spoke. They would ask questions, so on and so forth. It was supposed to be a lot of fun. It was very lively. It was meant to be a good time. 
until this happened. Verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now you might wonder, how did this woman get in here? Did she just open the front door and let herself in? How does this even happen? Well, again, it's important to understand the custom. A meal such as this one that Jesus was attending was not private. These kinds of meals were somewhat of a public occasion. It was not uncommon for outsiders to come through the gate. The doors would be open to the house. And as an outsider, you could come in. You could sit around the outside of the wall. You could watch. You might even, if you were hungry, you might even beg for leftovers. But you were encouraged or certainly not prohibited from engaging in the conversation, even though you weren't up there eating. You would be there and you'd be listening. So this this woman is not breaking and entering. She's just coming in like others came in. However, a prostitute would not have been welcome to a party in Simon's house. And that seems to be what we have here. This woman who remains unnamed in scripture learns that Jesus is at Simon's house and she comes in. Now, some people have surmised that this sinner is Mary Magdalene, but that's actually sheer speculation. This woman's identity is never given to us uh, in scripture. She's simply identified as a woman of the city who was a sinner. And you might be thinking, well, isn't everybody a sinner? Why is she designated in this way? Well, yes, you would be right. Everyone is a sinner. However, when Luke uses the word sinner in this case, he's using a specific label applied by the Jews to indicate the worst category of sinners in their minds. In this case, likely a prostitute. I will spare you all of the details associated with the lifestyle of prostitution, but let's just say that her sins are very public. She was a woman of the streets with a bad reputation. If you wanted to find this woman, you could find her on the corner on any given night. Can you imagine what her life has been like up to this point? It's reasonable to assume that she has been with hundreds of men. Likely, she's been beaten, discarded, treated like trash, asked or even forced at times to submit to the vilest kinds of sexual behavior. She was being sinned against to be certain, but she also continued to pursue this life, maybe out of necessity or maybe out of sheer profiteering. But her life was hard. Her life was miserable. It was despised. Just like Tammy said earlier, when when people would see this woman coming toward them, they would turn their faces. If she went into the marketplace, 
They wouldn't make eye contact because they don't want to watch her as she's buying groceries for her week. When she bought her clothes, clothes that were meant to uh, attract the attention of men, only the slimiest of seamstresses would ever accommodate her. Parents would pull their children in close when this woman came by and and then they would go home and they would degrade this woman to their kids. Kids, that's what will happen to you if you don't listen. You don't want to end up like that kind of gutter trash, do you? Now go have fun with Simon's kids. I'll see you later. And on this night, in this house, at this moment, This woman walks in. Can you imagine? (gasps) Gasp. That took courage, friends. That took courage. Exposing yourself and exposing your sin to others, especially at this house, was a daring feat. But here she comes. And she walks in and she's carrying... This alabaster flask of ointment. This is a flask that's round at the bottom. It has no handles. It's furnished with this long neck. And in order to get to the ointment, you would actually break off the neck in order to get to the perfume that was inside. And that's really what it was. It's it's perfumed oil. Ointment is actually a, a really bad translation. It was an oil that smelled really good and it can be poured on your body and others for festive occasions. And this woman walks in and she walks straight to the feet of Jesus, which again are exposed toward her, toward the outside. And the first thing Luke tells us is that she's weeping. He doesn't tell us why she's weeping. We're not even told exactly why she came when she learned that Jesus was there. Maybe this woman had been in the crowd when she heard Jesus speaking one day. She had overheard his compassion, his kindness, his invitation to follow him and to find life. And perhaps she saw in the face of Jesus a joy and a love and a happiness that she had never seen in the face of the men who visited her. Maybe she wanted to know more about the repentance and forgiveness of which Jesus spoke. And here he was right in front of her. She couldn't hold back the tears anymore. All of her life just comes flashing before her eyes. All of the men. All of the times that she stuffed away the guilt and she just kept on sinning. All of the horrible shame that she felt morning after morning and she tried to ignore it. And all of that awareness of her terrible and great sin before a God that she knew was watching all comes flooding out. By her own standards of right and wrong, she knows she is the worst of the worst and nothing could hold her emotions in anymore. They just pour out and her tears just start dripping all over the feet of Jesus. 
completely oblivious to public opinion, she lets down her hair and she starts wiping her feet, his feet. Just to be clear, respectable women never let down their hair in these days. In fact, if you did, that was actually grounds for divorce. That's how serious that was taken. She didn't care. She didn't have anything else available to her to wipe Jesus' feet, only her hair, and so she used it. And then she just starts kissing his feet. And the text indicates that it's just over and over and over. And then she takes an alabaster jar and she snaps open the neck and she begins pouring this perfume all over his feet, down over his feet, onto the floor, and it just forms this puddle at the base of that little couch. She didn't care. Jesus was worth every penny to her. Can you imagine the horror that's going through the minds of the other guests that are standing there watching this happen? We don't know what all of them were thinking, but we do know one. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon's just thinking this. He didn't say it out loud, but implied in Simon's thought was this conclusion. Whatever this Jesus guy is, Whatever he claims to be, whether he's a prophet, whether he's just a good guy, whatever he is, he is not a prophet from God. In his mind, Simon thought, he's either a fraud, or he's an imposter, or he's a phony, but he ain't no prophet. Because if he were a prophet, he would have known how awful and terrible this woman is, and he would have never allowed this woman to touch him for touching him would cause him to be ceremonially unclean and unfit to worship in the temple. And I want you to notice what Simon does with this woman. In his mind, he marks this woman with a permanent identity. What does he say? Look at the end of the verse. For she is a sinner. In Simon's mind, there was no hope for this woman. There was no redemption. There was no forgiveness. There was no possibility of change. She was, she is, and she will always be a sinner. I wonder how many of us sometimes think that same thing about certain other people. That person out there struggles with that sin? Well, then he just is. She is. No redemptive hope. No forgiveness offered. No possibility of godly change. He was, he is, and he will always be a sinner. Case closed. What's the problem with that kind of thinking? Well, it reveals 
that Simon really didn't know Jesus. And as a result, he really didn't know this woman, neither did he know himself. He saw himself as good, she was bad. He saw himself as blameless, she was wicked. He saw himself as beyond the need of mercy. He saw her as beyond the reach of mercy. He saw himself above the necessity of forgiveness. And he saw her as below the ability of forgiveness. So Jesus who knows all things, can see into the thoughts of man, answers and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. It's almost like he's saying, can I tell you something, Simon? And Simon answers, say it, teacher. Now, Simon's response is not an enthusiastic, inquisitive response. It is a reluctant, grudging, yeah, all right, say it, teacher. This ought to be good. (laughs) This night's already ruined. What do you have to say? And so Jesus tells this parable. And he says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, a denarii, if, if you've studied the Bible, you know, means a day's wages for a laborer. So one of these guys in this parable owes about two months worth of wages while the other guy owes 10 times as much, about two years worth of wages. One clearly owes more than the other. But notice something about these two. Neither of them can pay. Neither of them have the ability. Both of them are broke. Both of them have the inability to return borrowed cash to the money lender. And so out of the kindness of his heart, as the parable goes, the money lender forgives both of them. Now who's gonna, who's gonna love the banker more? Well, notice again, Simon answers, but he answers begrudgingly in verse 43, and he says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Almost like a Sunday school answer, like, good grief, that's so obvious. It pains me to even say it, but I'm just going to give you the answer so you move along. Jesus doesn't even address the attitude in which Simon responds. He just affirms to Simon, you have judged rightly. You are correct. Remember, Neither of them, neither of the borrowers could repay. This was not about the amount that they owed. It was about the awareness of their bankruptcy. Was this woman pouring the flask of ointment? Was she guilty of sin? Obviously, that's apparent to the whole world. But here's the bigger question. Simon Are you also guilty of sin? The woman's sins were obvious. Simon's sins were hidden. To everyone except God. What was his sin? 
Pride. Pride. He was better than this woman. But what he didn't realize is that he was as spiritually bankrupt as she was. He couldn't see it. He was blind to his own sin. He knew that this woman needed help, but him, nah, he was okay. So Jesus has to bring it home for Simon. We we say at our house, he had to connect the dots really close. He connected the dots for Simon. And look what he says in verse 44. He Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, stop right there. That is a fascinating question. Jesus is making an interesting point right here to Simon. He says, Simon, you only see this woman for what she was. You are only looking at her as she had been. Do you see her now? Do you see her, Simon? Do you see her brokenness? Do you see her acknowledgement as a sinner? Do you even notice that she understands the weight of her guilt? And Jesus says, let me just contrast this woman with you, dear Simon. (laughs) When I came into your house, Jesus says, you didn't even wash my feet. That's normal. That's customary. That's the polite thing to do. You just let me lay down on your little couch, dirt and dust clinging to my feet. You didn't even care. This woman, on the other hand, has washed my feet with her own tears. She has dried my feet with her hair. She was so unconcerned about her reputation that she went to any length to express her love for me. Simon, when I walked in your door, you gave me no kiss on the cheek. Again, that was a customary style of greeting. It would be as though somebody came into your house and you refused to shake their hand. Simon, when I came in, you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman can't stop kissing my feet. My feet, Simon. Not my face, my feet. She's that humble. When I came into your house, Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil. Again, side note, anointing a person's head with oil, what they would do if you had an honored guest came into your house, you would take a drop of olive oil, and it was a sign of respect. It was a sign of graciousness. Simon didn't use a drop of, a drop of olive oil when Jesus walked in. This woman, Jesus says, by contrast, not only did she not use the cheap olive oil, she broke open a flask of incredibly expensive perfume and she poured it all over my feet. Do you see the issue here, Simon? Do you see what's going on? Do you understand the difference between you, prideful, self-righteous, ungracious, unforgiving, unconcerned, and this woman? Do you see this woman? She is humble, repentant, contrite, broken, sorrowful. Do you see it, Simon? Verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, Simon, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. That's what you call a mic drop. Boom. He just landed it right there on Simon. Notice what Jesus is not saying first. Jesus is not saying that because she loved Jesus, she was forgiven. He is not saying that this woman's actions of love had merited or earned forgiveness. He makes that abundantly clear in verse 50 when he states explicitly, it's your faith that has saved you. It's faith and faith alone that saves. So what is Jesus saying here in verse 47? He is saying to Simon, her love is proof that she is forgiven. It is her response to God's grace. And because she was aware of the tremendous enormity of her sin, she loved much because she realized the tremendous enormity of God's grace. She was aware of her sin. She was conscious of the fact that she was spiritually bankrupt. She couldn't pay Jesus back in a lifetime of lifetimes. Her perception of the guilt from which she had been freed through the limitless forgiveness of Jesus allowed her to express a boundless love back to him. This Pharisee, though, because he didn't see his sin, because he wasn't aware of his destitute situation, he loved how much? Little. Do you see Jesus' point? Friend, could it be that the person who is the worst sinner in your mind sin far exceeding anything that you would have ever committed or would ever dream of committing could actually love Jesus more than you because he is aware of his sin and how much it costs Jesus to forgive him. Could it be that your smug reluctance in acknowledging the enormity of the Lord's mercy to that person actually reveals the smallness of your love toward Jesus. Because when you only see his sin and you refuse to repent of your sin, which is equally bankrupting in the eyes of God, you might actually be revealing how little you know Jesus. The Lord looks at this woman and he pronounces to her, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the tremendous weight of those words as they cross the ears of this woman? Her guilt is gone. Her shame is removed. She's free. She has peace, true peace, the peace that Jesus sends with her. Well, of course, instead of rejoicing that a sinner had been forgiven, 
the people at the table start arguing over whether or not Jesus actually had the authority to forgive sin. Utterly clueless of what has just happened in front of them. Utterly unaware of how lost they were. How was this woman saved? She repented of her sin. She placed her faith in Jesus Christ. How does she know she was saved? Jesus told her. What's the proof of her salvation? She loved Jesus. And her sacrificial devotion was expressed. Friend, that same process is extended to you today. It's given to you. It doesn't matter what kind of sin you've committed. It doesn't matter how many times you've committed with that sin. It doesn't matter that you still wrestle with sin. When Jesus spoke to you, he says, Come and courageously tell me how you've sinned. Repent of it and by faith believe in me and then trust me. I promise you, I'll forgive you. It's all written for you. How do you know you're forgiven? It's written. Jesus is telling you, I forgive you. The same peace with God given to this woman is being offered to you if you will repent and believe. Jesus is not ashamed of you. He will forgive you when you open up to him your heart. He will be your friend even when all of those around you don't even see you. Maybe you're here this morning and that's what you needed to hear. Don't let your shame keep you from Jesus. He will love you. But maybe you're here this morning and you've been convicted that you're more like Simon in the story than the woman. Simon was blind to the woman. He was blind to himself. Simon saw the woman for her past, but Jesus saw her for her future. Won't you repent as well? Won't you take a look at your own life and realize perhaps you love Jesus less than you thought? Because you don't see the depth of your sin for what it is you can't love like this woman loved. Well, I've got good news for you. Today you can. As I said in the beginning, no matter your background, no matter your testimony, no matter even the quantity of your sin, your love for God will be as deep as the awareness that you have for the enormity of your own sin. See it, own it for what it is, and then repent. And find that God's grace is available for you as well. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these types of accounts. This woman, she came and courageously exposed herself and her sin to the only one who is capable of freeing her, forgiving her, showing her grace. Some of us in this room may feel like this woman. And maybe we feel the enormity of our sin. We feel the shame and the guilt. And when we find how deeply you love us, we're just overwhelmed. 
We just love you from this well that just doesn't seem to end. It just flows. And thank you for your grace and your mercy. Some of us in this room may come and have walked in here feeling a bit smug. I'm not a sinner. Maybe we recognize we struggle with a little bit with this, but not quite as bad as that woman or that man. I pray that we would see our sin for what it really is. It's spiritually bankrupting. No matter how much I owe versus how much that person owes, none of us can repay. And so I I pray that we would repent of spiritual pride we would repent of ways that we've looked down on others and somehow thought that we deserved or that we earned your favor. None of this was earned. It's all grace. And so this morning, as we're getting ready to sing, we we come as we are. We, we, We come to you. We repent of our sin. We believe that you will forgive us when we do that. And I pray that our response will be a a flood of love never ceasing. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.